Good morning. It's a personal touch. Thank you, Cyril. What has been revealed to me this week is this series will go to Easter. (laughs) And that isn't a joke, but I'm glad you're laughing. We are going to be in Matthew 7 probably for at least two weeks, maybe three. How many people are actually doing the reading, the suggested reading? Gospel Matthew, Ephesians, 1 Corinthians 15. How many people are confused about 1 Corinthians 15? Everyone who's read it, yes. Um, I should tell you a, a short reason why I've suggested 1 Corinthians 15. It's actually the oldest written document describing the gospel. So go ahead and read that again. Uh, it's actually the, the first half of the chapter. Second half of the chapter, things get interesting. How many people are praying for the dead now? Uh, so there's Ephesians, 1 Corinthians 15, although, I mean, if you've already done all the reading, read the whole book of 1 Corinthians. A very interesting church, dealing with some very interesting problems. Also, the secondary reading is the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. So just go nuts. Read, steep, But the specific passage that we will be steeping in the next week or two is Matthew chapter 7. We're not even going to get to that story about the wise man and the foolish man, but it is on the horizon, should be on the horizon after this message is concluded. Where I want to start today is where we left off two Sundays ago. Does anyone remember where that was? What passage of Scripture? So long ago. People have been elected since then. I mean, the world has changed since then. I'm not surprised you don't remember. It was Ephesians chapter 1. That's one of the other books that we are steeping in. Ephesians chapter 1. And we left off verse 22. Verse 21, excuse me. Christ is far above all rule and authority and power, and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet, and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all In all. The last verse in Matthew 7 talks about people beginning to get glimpses of the authority of Jesus. Hasn't been fully realized yet. This is the pre Easter Jesus. But even people who aren't his disciples are starting to. This man has authority. And here, Paul is saying, You have no idea how much authority Christ has has. Christ is above all authority in the cosmos. All power. All dominion. The earliest creed of the Christian church is three words. Jesus is Lord. That's the simplified version of what we believe if we are Christians. And what does that mean? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is above 
all things. Jesus is the ultimate supreme authority. Now here's the thing. You noticed in Ephesians 1, he mentions the church. Paul is saying Christ is above all authority, is the supreme authority over everything on planet Earth, everything in the cosmos. But in the church, this is a recognized and a responded to reality. Does that make sense? So the reality is Christ is above all authority, all dominion in the cosmos. In the church, it's recognized and it's responded to appropriately. If we look through history, doesn't matter what age, doesn't matter what the church is going through, we see this pattern. When Christ is recognized and responded to as the ultimate authority, the church flourishes. We're at the heart of this series. We have a choice. Do we want to flourish or fade away as a church? The ultimate decision is this. Are we going to recognize and respond to Christ as the authority in this building, in our lives, in our families, 24-7? I don't know too many churches that don't sing about the ultimate authority of Christ. Most of us have it on our website somewhere, right? And those, of it, those churches that don't have websites probably proclaim it the loudest, Right? It's not just about recognizing Christ as the ultimate authority when we sing songs together. But it's when we do coffee time together. (laughs) It's when we're in commission meetings together. It's when we are at our workplace, when we're not together. It's a 24-7 deal. In fact, if the only time Christ is recognized and responded to as the ultimate authority is when we sing our songs and do this thing we call church. Well, what does God say in the Old Testament? I hate your celebrations. I hate your shindigs in my name because they are a farce. Calm down, Troy. Sometimes the Old Testament prophet... This comes. Christ is the authority above every authority, including the authority of self. That one is tricky. In fact, I would say it is directly and fiercely opposed to our beliefs and values as a contemporary Western society. The dominant Canadian worldview, including for most Canadian Christians, is I am the authority of my life. I decide what is good for me, what is best for me. I decide what is right for me. I decide what is truth for me. Right? It's diametrically opposed to the way of Jesus. This isn't a new thing. 
I mean, you read from the early church fathers, Irenaeus, Origen, read the Paul, talk about an early church father. Read through Augustine, read all through church history. This is not a new postmodern battle. It has some new dynamics in the 21st century, but this is the battle. The idea of submitting to the authority of Christ above your own authority for your life it doesn't make sense in our cultural milieu. There's, and there are reasons for that. Pastors up on stages have, have and priests and bishops have, have enforced their will upon people under the guise of God's will, right? So we're a little wary of someone telling us what the will of God is. Someone else claiming the authority of Christ over you, you should be wary of that. <laughs> but when it gets to the extreme that we, and it's often subconscious, are resisting the authority of Christ from Christ, that's probably something we need to deal with. Hidden Worldviews is a book written by Steve Wilkins and Mark Sanford. It's an interesting book. Like every other book, it has things I agree with and things that I don't agree with and things that I scratch my head and wonder what on earth were they thinking. Worldviews are stories. They're ultimately underlying stories about reality. Our worldview is our core story of how we make sense of the world and how the world works. A worldview is our core story that gives us identity and provides a framework for our convictions which serve as the basis for our ethics and values. In this book, Hidden Worldviews, Wilkins and Sanford, they talk about eight hidden worldviews that shape our lives and how they are in direct competition with the Christian worldview and the way of Jesus and how they are becoming incredibly influential and even foundational in the church. First one is this, individualism. Individualism is the story that I am the center of my life. My life is about me. It's the story that I find fulfillment in doing it my way. Who can sing it? I did it. That's our anthem. I made some mistakes. I messed up, hurt people, but the important thing is, <laughs> I did it my way. Yeah, well, that's great. The world will definitely be a better place if we all adopt that. <laughs> Truly, the hope of this world. I don't think we can comprehend how influential individualism is upon our worldview as Christians. We are so immersed in it, and it's relatively new. What we don't see is when we read the Bible, when we pray, when we approach God, when we think about our faith, 
Most of us, unbeknownst to us, we are seeing it through the lens of individualism, and we're not even aware of it. So before we even come in contact with God, before we engage the Scriptures, we are actually filtering everything through the lens of individualism. Second one is consumerism. The story that I can find fulfillment by accumulating wealth and everything that comes with it. Most Christians I know are not obsessed about money and getting possessions, but it's much more subtle than that. I find myself getting a bit more excited at the thought of getting, well, with my son Elias, with the thought of getting a new fifth-wheel camper trailer for some reason. He's very, he's really wearing me down. (laughs) Just keep showing me these great deals and different catalogs. Dad, this, no, this is a great deal. We need this. Two years ago, I was like, that's ridiculous. That is the last thing we need. Now I'm like, huh, that is a nice one. (laughs) I used to pride myself. I don't like shopping. And I don't. I don't like going to malls or whatnot, but the thought of going to Home Depot or something, getting some new power tools, yeah, that... It's the blood pumping a little bit. Consumerism. Again, uh, many contemporary uh, writers in the Christian world say this one has infiltrated like nobody's business. We are consumeristic people. The third one is nationalism, and that's the story that God and truth are on my side because of my nationality, my ethnicity, my politic. We are seeing this all over the planet, this rise of nationalism. Moral relativism is the story that we can't know what is universally good, so we decide what is good for us. What I find fascinating about this worldview is the people that I encounter that are most ardent and diligent in following the worldview of moral relativism are often the most passionate about transposing and imposing their sense of morality upon everybody else. I don't know too many moral relativists who are okay with the assassination of abortion doctors, for example. Why not? Made sense to that guy. Morality is relative. Everyone's getting uncomfortable. Are you following my example? I'm not stating a truth from my perspective here. (laughs) Scientific naturalism. The story that all that matters is matter. I only trust what I can empirically test and measure. Number six, new ageism. And they've kind of dumped a lot of philosophies and spiritualities under this heading and umbrella. All of these are characters you understand. New ageism, according to the authors, the story that we are God, or we are gods, and that all we need is personal enlightenment, meaning we become aware of our own godhood. I've met a lot of people, and even the nicest people I know, I am not interested in them being God of the universe. 
Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Postmodern tribalism. That's the story that all that matters is what my group thinks. We can only know truth and understand morality and everything within the context of immediate community. So all that matters is what my group thinks. Salvation by therapy is the last one. Salvation by therapy. The story that I can come to my full human potential through inner exploration. And they explain salvation by therapy reduces spiritual problems out of existence by defining them as exclusively psychological in nature. Now, I should clarify that I don't find the heart of these worldviews as evil or bad. I think they, they are coming from a place of truth. We are individuals. I do have needs as an individual. I do have a perspective, a personality, etc., we are consumers. We actually, God has designed this world that we have to consume to survive. All of these flow from a place of truth and understanding. And I believe that my Christian faith and my understanding of God and the world grows stronger when I am open to learning the truth from other philosophies and worldviews like this. The problem is when they are given authority in our lives. So when individualism, for example, becomes the authority in my life, and it becomes, takes a position in my interpretation and and interaction with the world above the authority of Christ. Another way of putting it is this. If I am interpreting my Christian faith through the lens of individualism, it has taken authority over my Christian faith. Are you with me? If I am measuring truth and discerning what is actually probable and right and good based on my individualism or my post-modernity or scientism or whatever it is, and, and I take that lens and then I go to the Bible or I go to my understanding of faith and I use those lenses to discern, oh, this is probably true and this isn't true, those lenses are now the authority in my life not Christianity, not Christ. So we can only learn from those as followers of the way of Jesus when we interpret the the wisdom and insight from all those philosophies and, and schools of thought through the lens of spirit, through the reality of the story of Jesus, through this internal reality that Jesus calls the kingdom of God. See, I had a friend explain this to me years ago when I was interested in Buddhism. And I've learned a lot from Buddhism. But he said, here's one of the core concepts of Buddhism is detachment. That I need to be detached from my family and detached from, from physical things and possessions.
At the time, it made sense to me. Yes, I need to be detached from people, and I need to be detached from the things of this world. It explains to me that Christianity doesn't teach detachment. It teaches everything in its right place. It doesn't teach that we detach ourselves from money. It acknowledges that we need money, we need things to survive. It's just that money is in its right place. If you value money above other things like people, your integrity, your peace of mind, etc., money isn't in its right place in your life. Are you with me? Same as other human beings. I mean, Jesus says some hyperbolic things about his own family. And sometimes we get confused. Whoa, that that doesn't make sense. Jesus is trying to correct an inappropriate value on family in his own context. Obviously, Jesus loves his mom and loves his brothers. But they need to be in their right place. Nothing becomes more valuable, more authoritative, more important than God. Paul Tillich, one of my favorite theologians, says, you want to know what your God is? It's whatever your ultimate concern is. What keeps you up at night? Gives you a glimpse into what your God is. So, how long have I been talking up here? I did make a commitment to God that, all right, I've got to get these down under 25 minutes. Are you sure? All right. Everyone heard her? That was, this is not my doing. I am being led by the worship leader. Why is this important? Well, first, I've already named it. All flourishing churches, the commonality is this. Christ is central, and Christ is recognized and responded to as the authority. 